Norma, would you pray for our time in the Word? Father God, good morning again. Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful day. Uh, celebrating Pentecost Sunday, Father God. Uh, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, for the gift that you have given us, Father God. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, as I was reading, Lord, uh, in the book of Acts, Lord, when the apostle, they were all together in one room. What struck my mind, what got, got my attention is when he said that they were all uh, in one accord. Uh, praying and uh, asking for, for, for you, Lord, for your, for your presence. For your, and, and that's when you uh, send the Holy Spirit, Father God. And we pray right now, Lord Jesus, as we are here in this room, Lord Jesus, and many churches are celebrating this day, Father God. Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Will you strengthen us, Holy Spirit, every day you live inside of us? So would you give us wisdom and discernment? Would you guide us? Would you help us to be bold and courageous, Lord Jesus? Would you help us to, to walk with you habitually in the spirit of the living God, Father God? So we thank you for this beautiful gift, my Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will never, ever hinder in the, 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 the calling that you have in us, Father, and the, and the desire that you have for us to do your will. So we say this morning to you, Father God, let your will be done here in this earth after this in heaven, Father God. Help us to do your will. Help us to die to self, to crucify this flesh, and to walk according to your will and to your call. So we thank you. We give you all the glory and the honor. And we pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that you will have access to our heart, that, that you will speak to us, Father God, that you will use your servant. Lord Jesus, who you are already prepared to speak to us, Father God. So we thank you for that. So we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Jesus, this Jesus.
May our hearts be of good soil to receive, that it would not be choked or snatched out, Father, but may it take root and produce fruit, lasting fruit in our lives, Lord, that we would be known as Christians, followers of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Community, two definitions, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common or a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul writes to the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other, let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. The Christian community, as we've been hearing Christ is the center. He is the foundation. The Holy Spirit is working among us and in us. He is giving each of us gifts that are to be used for His glory. God is working out His plan and His purpose through the church on the earth. And as The things of this earth are getting crazier and crazier. And Jesus himself tells us how bad it's going to get. But he gives us, he gives the church hope when he mentions, but my gospel will continue to be preached throughout the earth. The church is to go forth. The Christian community is to go as they're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this new life. This new life. And it's a life that we are to be living, and I love how Paul addresses the church, in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Go to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, verse 7 is where I'm starting. And then we'll move on to chapter 2 through verse 17. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, Then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. My dear children... I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. If we obey his commandments, I'm sorry, let me back up, verse 3. And if, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one. You have heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I'm living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go having been blinded by the darkness. I'm writing to you who are children, who are God's children, because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith, because you know Christ, who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith, because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Christ is the center of our community. And we are not to be given in to the desires of this world. To the things that lure us for physical pleasure. And as we're seeing what's happening in our lifetime, things are growing more and more darker and the church should be growing more brighter And the light in which we have is not just to abide among ourselves, but to go into the darkened world, to shine in it the light 
the light of Christ, the life of Christ. Not to cower down, not to bow down to it. And as we're entering Pride Month, where the LGBTQ community is celebrating their lifestyle and demanding everyone else celebrate with them, we're seeing more and more how wicked and perverse this generation is getting. We are literally laying the youth of our nation on the altar of the LGBTQ community. And then there's so-called Christians who are embracing this. But we just read here, they're not Christians. They may claim Christ, they may talk about the love of Christ, but they do not know Christ, because if they knew Christ, they wouldn't lay themselves, nor would they lay their children down at this altar. And I don't know if you've seen the images that are taking place all throughout our country yesterday, but the ones I've watched are the ones from Dallas, Texas, where they're taking children in to a gay bar to experience drag shows, and these little children are passing dollars out to the drag queens, and it's the most chaotic thing you can ever witness, and when the Christian group and other groups, because they just weren't Christians there, who oppose this, were asking the police, why are you allowing them to break the law? You have to be 21 to enter into that establishment. You have to be 21 to enter into a bar, to a place where alcohol is being served, and yet they're rushing in these children, and the police are there and allowing this to take place. And the police had no answer for those people who were inquiring about this. And you should see the video of what was going on inside these bars with these little kids. And then the, 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 just at the end of, as they were exiting, just the eruption of just chaos from both sides. I mean, this is the day and age in which we're living. And I keep encouraging us and, and keep warning us that we are going to continue, because the Bible tells us, we're going to continue to be pushed out of society. We're not going to be welcomed. People are, do not want to celebrate righteousness. They don't want to celebrate Christ. They don't want Christ the center of their lives. And so we better really wake up to this understanding that as the Christian community, we need to hear the word of the Lord. These scriptures in which I'm sharing with you that helps, I pray, helps encourage you to persevere in community first with Christ and then with others, they're they're not new because we're hearing them repeated over and over throughout this year. But oh, how I pray we're not just hearing them, but we're doing them. And when we hear and we meditate upon these Scriptures, and we understand that we are called as Christians to not to love this world. Do not love this world. Your love is towards Christ in Christ alone. He is the center. Apart from Him, we have nothing. Apart from Him, we are just lost in all these other identities that are out there that are trying to claim us. But greater is He that is in us than He that is in this world. And spiritual, and spiritual warfare is real. 
And until the Christian church wakes up to the reality, as I preached about for quite some time ago, we are in a war. And daily we have to wake up and remain alert, to remain steadfast, to, to, to not be easily moved or shaken. We've got to be able to stand and declare the goodness of our God in the land of the living. That we can understand that we were purposed. They, these just can't be words. These have to be truth. Because with this truth, it will set you free so that you will not get entangled with the ways of this world. But that you are bound in Christ to do the will of the Father. And so let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 through 22. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. I want to hear that again. Verse 19. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. And listen, stay away from every kind of evil. Every kind of evil. It's what we're called to do. We're not called just to yoke ourselves to it or go along with it, just to appease our loved ones, just to, you know, go along with it and, and not be able to, to speak truth and to minister truth. But we're not embracing it. You know, and again, grown adult adults have rights. They can choose to live however they want. But to see these grown adults dragging kids into these places that they all not to be in. When a society turns their youth over to evil, the society is ruined. And God help us. Oh, how I pray that we are crying out unto Christ, unto the Lord, for His mercy that for an awakening to occur in the hearts and lives of people that are sitting in the churches who are claiming to be Christians, yes, we're praying for the lost in the world, but we're also praying for the lost in the church. Not everyone who is calling themselves Christians are Christians. Not everyone who gets up and prays the little prayers and does the little Bible studies and, and attends church... Not everyone who does that is saved. 
It's only those who do the will of the Father who are saved. That's the reality. And the enemy has come in like a flood. And as I keep encouraging us, we have to raise up a standard against him. And the standard is righteousness. The standard is Jesus. And there's no other standard. There's no way to water it down. There's no way to strip them down. Though that's what a lot of churches have done. Just to appease the people. But the people are not the center of the church. Christ is the center. And we're called to stay away from evil. We're called to go forth in this generation and declare truth. Knowing good and well that in this day and age, and again, I keep saying it over and over, the way the church used to move is they can't move that way any longer. We're in a different season now. And it's time that the church matures, knows who she serves, whose he is, and who they are in him, and begins to live in a way that is cultivating righteousness, that is planting seeds as she goes forth in this world, planting seeds, planting hope, planting peace, calling sinners to Christ, calling forth sinners to repent and to turn to God. This is our hope. This is who we are now. And if we're not doing that, then then really are we His? Again, people can look at us and they can see us hold a form of religion and they can even be motivated by that. But yet, but yet we could be making them twice as much the son of hell as we are. Because in the depths, they really see the person that we are, and yet we think we're getting away with how we're living, so they see no difference in how they're living. And so everyone can just have Jesus. And that's not the reality of the truth of the gospel. Jesus says to consider the cost. Jesus says to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus tells his disciples how life is going to be for them. And so we must awaken to truth. And we must not be a people who are grieving the Holy Spirit. Again, when we think of the church, when we think of Christian community, when we think that Christ is the center of the community and the power in the community is the Holy Spirit. And as today's Pentecost Sunday, the reality is, is that it's the Spirit of God in us, working in and through us, distributing gifts among us to accomplish the will of the Father. And Jesus Himself says, I have to go away so that He will come. And we talked about it before, the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit to, to bring conviction to the world. And so we're to be moving empowered by the Spirit of God, God Himself, in us and through us, living new lives because we've been lives, because we've been born again of the Spirit, so we're walking habitually in the Spirit and not gratifying the desires of the flesh. And so if we're living that way, we are pleasing the Spirit, we're honoring Christ, and we're loving God. 
But if we're grieving the Holy Spirit, we're living for ourselves and claiming His name and His power. <laughs> and yet, it's meaningless. We claim our lot, we claim and we stamp Jesus' name on our lives. And then when people look at it, there's no transformation. Oh, again, we may know how to pray. We may know Bible verses. We may attend church, but there's no transformation. Do you understand we're insulting the Holy Spirit? I mean, we're insulting the Holy Spirit. God Himself. And we ought to be, we ought to, we ought to be trembling. I mean, we're even told that Satan in his demonic realm can show up as angels of light. Easily deceiving people. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And that's why our lives have to be dependent upon Him so that we're not caught up in the delusion that's going around us. Again, when we think about the day and age in which we're living, when we're seeing things as we're seeing them, and we understand that it's, it's beginning to prepare the platform for the Antichrist to show up on the scene and begin to deceive people by doing good works. Think about that. When he comes onto the scene... He's not doing anything evil yet. <laughs> He's going to deceive many. There's going to be this great delusion that is going to take place. And it may even so that He will lure the elect away from true faith. We're told that people will begin to follow the doctrines of demons. And so when I see these people who are calling themselves Christians, dressed in their pride clothing, dragging their kids to gay bars, marching in these pride parades, giving in to CRT and race baiting, and doing all of this craziness just to appease the world, they've been deceived. They're not saved. They're not children of God. They're just religious folks. Making people twice as much the son of hell as they are. And this is what the church is contending with throughout the earth. But God has prepared us for this time. Yes. So that's why it's vital that we know who he is and who we are and how we were to go forth. And to love them and to serve them and, and to minister truth to them, to uphold a standard of righteousness, even though you're going to be hated, even though you're going to be persecuted. But you already laid down your life when you came to Christ. You have no need to fear. Because you're a dead man, you're a dead woman. And dead people have no rights. And so we got to stop demanding our rights. we got to realize the day and age in which we're living. You know, we're going to watch later the, the documentary, what is, what is a Woman? Where this journalist goes out and he travels the earth to talk to people from all walks of life. 
Because the, a woman is, the, the nature of a woman is being erased in our culture. This is, this is delusion. I mean, when you see and he sits down, he talks to prominent doctors, prominent therapists. And you hear what they're saying. It's like, oh God, they believe it. And they're passing it on. And where is everyone at? Who's standing up saying, no, this is not happening. And as I've been praying and meditating and and thinking upon Christ and just the ways of of Christ and and the time in which we're living. And again, you, you, you have to remain alert. The Bible says to be as innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. And so as this is preparing this platform for the Antichrist to step out onto. I said, God, how do you destroy a free people? Not just the spiritual enemy, though he is behind all of it. But you think of these other nations, especially China. And knowing that they're backing, they're funneling a lot of money into what's happening into our nation. And so how do you destroy a free people? Grant them their desires. Mm. To have no restraint and to be whatever they want. And have whatever they want. You will not see this happening in China. There is not an LGBTQ community in China at large as we have it in our area. These corporations that are tying themselves and giving themselves over to erasing women, to the LGBTQ, to the art, to the to the the race baiting, to the craziness that we're seeing in our country. Do you realize if you look at what's happening, where a lot of that money's coming from, that's backing all of this, China. They knew they couldn't come in and invade us. <laughs> But they knew how to come in and to destroy us. Give them everything. And these companies are taking all of this money from China. And yet, the very thing that they're pressing on the church here in our nation, they won't press back in China. I mean, this is crazy when you begin to really look at all of the things that are happening. And you realize the attack of, all, of our nation is to destroy the family and the church. That even churches and seminaries and ministries are f- having money funneled in through them from China. And you don't think the enemy is designed to plan to destroy us? Oh, we have to wake up. But again, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. These people, these other communities, these other groups, they're not our enemy. We don't hate them. But we also just can't go along with them. We can't. Because then what truth do we have? Then what are we doing if we're saying we're the, we're the church of the living God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the will of God in our time. See, we can't be people grieving the Holy Spirit. 
So I think what's missing in the church today is there's not a fear of God. I mean, if you go back to the book of Acts, and today's Pentecost Sunday, we, we recognize it, we celebrate it. I'm going to go in a little bit depth of it in a minute. But when we realize that Jesus fulfilled what he spoke when he sent forth the Holy Spirit to empower the people of God to bring about his will. If you look at the church, if you understand when the church was birthed, what held them together to accomplish all that they have accomplished and have accomplished and will continue to accomplish until he returns is the belief that they are new people, that they are transformed, not in anything of themselves, but of God. They have been born again of the Spirit. There's a newness about them. There's an awakening that has taken place. They see things differently now. They're living differently now. That's why the mark of a true believer, as it was then, so it is now, will continue to be, is a life that is transformed. Not a life that just has a lot of words and no life to back it up, but a life that has been transformed. And yet, what has the enemy done into the church? Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Everyone's a Christian. And we don't see that anywhere. Again, the understanding and the, and the reality of the times in which we are living, Jesus himself spoke about it, how crazy it was going to get, how dark it was going to get. But listen, be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. Go forth and preach my gospel. Go out there and tell the captives there is freedom. And there's freedom in Christ. This isn't a joke. This isn't just a, oh, it's just another religion. It's just a, oh, it just lets me feel good or whatever. No, this is truth. And has the truth of Christ truly impacted your life? That you, God is pleased to reveal himself to you and you see him for who he is and you can't help but humble yourself. And to have the right fear of God. See, that's what the church had and has always will have if they're, in, if they're going to impact the nations around them and the communities around them. Because before they touch anything, before they put their eyes on anything, before they let their feet go anywhere, before they open their mouth to speak, is it honoring God? <laughs> Is it pleasing God? And if it isn't, then God, I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want to touch it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to go to it. And I definitely don't want to speak it. <laughs> see, we're transformed people. Are we a perfect people? By no means. But we ought to be a maturing people. Again, do you understand where this world is going It's the, the stage for the Antichrist is set. We're just waiting for him to step out. And again, he's not going to step out looking ugly. He's not going to look demonic. He's not going to do any evil works. In fact, he will be one that is of good looks. He would be one that's going to step out and deceive many. And the ground is already being prepared for him with a delusion that's running amok in the, wor in the world. And you go, how did we get here? Because <laughs> we took our eyes 
off of Jesus. We took our eyes off of Jesus. Again, the created is at war with its creator. And I keep telling you, the creator is not at war with his created. In fact, he loves us. He has been for us. He's, he's, he's pleased to reveal himself to us in order to deliver us. We were created for him and by him. And so we've got to realize, why do you think every day you're challenged by this, that, this, that, this, that, and this? Why do you think these desires within you lead you to feed off of the temporalness of life? And yet when it comes to the spiritual side of life, uh, uh, maybe, well, no. It's all this craziness that people aren't willing to allow what God began in them for him to finish it. Because they're chasing more of this temporalness. Listen, the enemy is not going to lie. Listen, you have the world, you have your flesh, and you have the enemy. And they're out to snatch up your soul. But your soul wasn't meant for it for the world system, and it wasn't even meant for your flesh. The depths of your being is for God. That you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. This is the depths of who you are now. If you're a Christian, I mean a true Christian, and we just read these scriptures, and there's no way around it, that's the standard You see, God has set the standard. And we can never meet that standard. Ever. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need Christ. And that's why Paul tells the church, why are you trying to live out in the flesh what you received in the spirit? It can't be done. And he goes, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Why are you believing now in the gospel that's really not the gospel? Listen, this isn't nothing new, you all. This has been happening since the beginning. God created, and the enemy came in. And what did he do? He made them question God. And since then, since they bought into it, creation has been at war, you all. Listen, I can't can't open your eyes. All I can pray is that the Lord will open up our eyes that we would truly see, wait a minute. I mean, this is the reality. I remember when it hit me years ago and I was just like, wow. You know, I had all these questions for God. I had all these issues with God. I, had, I wanted to live my life. But when the reality really started hitting me, like, God, all of this is real. Like when your eyes are open, you begin to see things and you just go, oh, wow. Like how deceived I've been. How, wow. And that's what I've always said too, and I keep saying over the past couple weeks, it's so sad that the occult knows more of the spiritual realm than Christians. If he can keep us ignorant, he's defeated us. But no, Christians are not to remain ignorant. Remember, they're supposed to be as innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. And what are we handing off to the youth coming up in the church today? Do you understand that what's happening? 
they're out there in the world. They're seeing everything that, and everything that's just given and given and just... And then they look at the church and they go, really, what's there to offer me? And how sad. I mean, I break down. This week has just been a crazy week. I'm just breaking down and, and just in prayer for the youth. And then to top it off last night, when I see these parents dragging these kids into a gay bar to experience drag shows. I just go, God, I remember that culture. I lived it. I loved it. It was everything I was. But even then, when I was in that culture, we kids were off limits. I mean, there was, I was part of, I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it. I was part of marching and, and doing and, you know, pushing the agenda. Even, even when I worked at Universal, even before it was good, you know, great to be gay. <laughs> I know what it's like to cross the KKK lines and get spit on and pushed on just to get into the bar. I know what it's like when the police would come in and put us up against the wall. I know what it's like the hell that I had to endure. But I wanted to fight for the cause because, no, no, we need to push for our cause. But kids were off limits. But even then, when I started seeing this push to say, listen, this is how we'll do this and this is how we'll do that. And this is how we'll make it more impactful. And I begin to see this radical part of the group begin to break off and everything that they have planned and what they have purposed over the years. And to see how far this movement has come. And then they want to stand up and say that there are, there are an oppressed people still. It is Then when you really see how demonic it is, how the enemy plays with people, how he trips them up. Now you've got this group of people now who are looking and telling. And that's how it works. Rather it's the LGBTQ, rather it's the minorities, no matter who it is. If you keep them victims, they'll remain ignorant. You're a victim, 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 you're a victim. Oh, everyone's out to oppress you. And yet there's so much freedom to them. And I said, God, help us. Again, all of it is laying out. Listen, adults have everyone. People can live however they want. But when you start targeting children, like I wish, I hope you stay and watch the documentary. After lunch, what is a woman? When you begin to see what they're doing to children's bodies, to mutilate them, when you begin to see, and I, and I spoke a bit of this, I think last week, when you begin to see what's happening even within the LGBTQ community, listen, all of these groups will come together and fight against the church. They're, that they're in agreement of. The church is our, is our issue. But the reality is these groups, they don't really like each other. And so even the rift that's taking place in the LGBTQ community, it started when I was in it. We didn't know what to do with the trans people. But where else were they going to go? No other community would have them. So we accepted them. And now it has taken over to where as gay feminine men are being forced to become women. Butch women are now being forced to become men because it goes against the agenda 
bisexual people are now being pushed out because no, there's not just man or woman, there's all of these genders. So we, there's no place for the bi's. And so you have all this craziness going on. And it's just confusion, you all. Because people, see, the depths of your soul, when you're in rebellion towards your Creator, you're just going to run after anything and everything that you desire. And so we're basing our life off of a desire. And for what? Again, if that's how you want to live, you have every right as an adult to live however you want. And you should have every right that everyone else has. Because this is a life that you've been given to live. But you can't go and then demand everyone else to to bow down to you. Or just strip them of their rights. No. Honor what you've been given and how you've succeeded in moving your agenda. But don't, why are you at war with telling the church that she can't be who she is? I mean, this is getting crazy, you all. And this is only the beginning. Again, it's just not the LGBT. You got the CRT movement. You got BLM movement. You got all of these movements that are starting, and the church doesn't know what to do with it. And so what does the church do? They cave to it. Prominent churches, prominent leaders are caving in to these agendas that are confusing the congregation, and they don't know what to do. And if they do anything, then they're shunned. And so be quiet. But it's not time for the church to be quiet, you all. It's not. It's not. We have to know who He is and who we are. It's important. Because you're going to be bombarded every single day Every single day. These may not be the words that are bombarding you, but these are the words that are behind them. You know what those words are? Is he Lord? When everything that's being approached to you or, or directed towards you or even your thoughts or even your desires, is he Lord? And if you give in to those desires, you're basically saying, no, he's not. And I've always said to you, don't be shocked when Christians turn and fall. (laughs) But to get them to that place, they have to turn and look at Christ, look at the cross, look at the empty tomb and say, nope, it wasn't enough. Because that's better. That'll complete me. He will complete me. She will complete me. It will complete me. And so we strive and we long for all of this temporal stuff that will never, ever Complete us. I woke up Monday morning. Bing. To a message on my phone. I said, Lord, this devil ain't going to stop, is he? So I began to read it. And my heart was just broken. I said, God, I don't know what to do. I know what to say. But God, I don't know what to do. 30 some odd years ago, 30, 35 some odd years ago, when I was nowhere near Christ, living for myself, 
I had an experience that probably most people in their lives would never have. Most people are searching for love in this world. And just by a chance meeting, I met someone that no one could have told me anything different. But that was my soulmate. It was just the eyes. It was just that instant. It was two strangers in the night. (laughs) It was daytime, though. Who locked eyes. And I knew. And he knew. That it was meant to be. Hollywood couldn't even touch the story. They couldn't create something so beautiful as it was. It's sin, though. But in my mind, then, like, it was like, what? And my whole life, for 30-some-odd years or 20-some-odd years, I held on to this. Even though things were working to pull us apart and kept us apart, I always knew, no, we will be back together. And I would even tell the people that I was with. Like, listen, I can only go so far with you because the love of my life will return. And if he shows up, like, that's it. I mean, even when I came to Christ, I didn't know what to do with him. So I even told Jesus, like, God, you have to help me because what am I going to do? And I remember those days when the Lord was saying, just like you've done with everything else, die to it. It's sin. See it for what it is. See, there's a greater love story now, and it's the love story of Christ who stepped into my life. It wasn't a chance meeting with Christ. Christ knew me. Christ purposed me. Christ called me. And He has no... Understand it because he knows me as one who hates Christ, who hates Christians, who told him to renounce his faith. <laughs> I haven't heard from him in months. But there he was again, reminding me of everything. Are you truly happy? Because you should be here with me. I've waited for you. How can this be wrong? Sent me two songs. (laughs) And he was just pouring out his heart. I don't see him as evil. But my heart breaks because I'm like, oh God. And I told him, listen, I've had 25 years of walking with Christ. I've already recognized... (laughs) What we had, I already laid it down. There's nothing, there's nothing. I need you to understand, there is nothing in me for you anymore. I belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. And I pray for Him. And I really do. I pray that this will just... Stir up something within him. Because his mother was a strong Christian. His father was a strong Christian. He broke away from them. And then she was killed tragically. And then his father died. And 
So there's all this stuff stirring up. And then the, the love of his life is, <laughs> as he says, and where are you now? You're a pastor and married. And what do I do with that? And so I pray for him. But I share all that with you because listen, the enemy knows. He's not given up on the things that you desire or that you once desired. There's always going to be opportunities. There's always going to be flare-ups. But you better know that you know that you know back to what I said to you is, is He Lord? You see, when I'm reading all of that, that's the check in me. Is He Lord? Is He Lord of your life? Is He Christ the Messiah, the, the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. Is He God's Son and that He rise from the dead? Did He defeat sin and death? Are you freed from the enslavement of sin? Are you truly alive in Christ? Yes. There's no question. There's no doubt. And you should be able to walk in that security if you're a Christian. So that when opportunities or things come your way, and trust me, it is going to intensify when your loved ones go one way or this way or that way. And you're like, oh. And yet you have to stand up and uphold a standard of truth. Knowing good and well you're going to be shunned. Knowing good and well that you could be pushed out. Knowing good and well you're going, it's going to be turned around on you as you're the crazy one. I mean, again, when you hear some of the stuff that's being out there, the delusion that is running amok, and then they look at the church and say, they're the problems. How crazy is that? Because again, I've said it over and over, you would want Christians in your community because they're hard workers, they're not bound up with gossiping and carrying on and lazy. They produce. They have excellent moral character. They contribute. And yet, and yet, they say, no, they're the problems. They're the problem. They're the ones who's preaching hate. They're the ones who this, 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 and that. And they got a list of charges. And that's why your character and your integrity and the essence of who you are in Christ should be solidified. You should be grounded in it. And you should be maturing in it. Because you recognize my life is not my own. I belong to Jesus. I'm his ambassador now. Everything that I say, everything that I do. And what we've done over the years with churches is we just have people gather and poof, 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 you're a Christian, you're a Christian. Okay, come in and then go back. And then come in and go back. We, it's, it's a weird codependent thing that churches have done and yet have kept people enslaved and ignorant of who really who they are. And it's grieving the Holy Spirit. Because we're to be empowered. We're to be recognizing the signs and the times and we are to be moving, empowered by the Spirit of God Planting seeds, watering seeds, trusting that he's harvesting. 
And we can go forth and live our lives no matter how dark the world is getting. And we can go forth into a darkened world as we should. We just don't stay bound to each other as a community. No, the community, the Christ community, we're to go out and not just stay amongst ourselves, but to go out and to begin to impact other communities. So that how do they know that we belong to him by our love for one another? You know, when we talk about Pentecost Sunday, it's a commemoration and celebration of the receiving of the Holy Spirit by the early church. You see, John the Baptist prophesied of the first Pentecost when Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus confirmed this prophecy with the promise of the Holy Spirit to the disciples in John 14, 26. He showed himself to these men after his death on the cross and his resurrection, giving convincing proofs that he is alive. Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Father's gift of the Holy Spirit, from whom they would receive power to be his witnesses. Did you hear that? To be his witnesses. And and we are his witnesses. And what are we testifying to? That he's alive. That he's resurrected. He's not in the tomb. He's not on the cross. He's not in the manger. No, he's resurrected. And we're to take that to the ends of the earth. And see, after after Jesus' ascension to heaven, the men returned to Jerusalem and joined together in prayer in an upper room. And on the day of Pentecost, just as promised, the sound of a violent wind filled the house and tongues of fire came to rest on each of them and all were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were given the power of communication, which Peter used to begin the ministry for which Jesus had prepared him. After the coming of the Holy Spirit, the disciples did not stay in the room basking in God's glory, but burst out to tell the world. This was the beginning of the church as we know it. The celebration of Pentecost Sunday reminds us of the reality that we all have the unifying spirit that was poured out upon the first century church in Acts 2. It is a reminder that we are co-heirs with Christ to suffer with him, that we also may be glorified with him, that the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good that we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, and that the spirit which raised Jesus from the dead, oh God, lives inside believers. The gift of the Holy Spirit that was promised and given to all believers on the first Pentecost is promised for you and your children and for all who are far, far off whom the Lord our God will call. You see, we have the good news. We have the hope. And you have to ask yourself, why aren't you sharing it? Why aren't you sharing it? Because that's a mark of a believer. Like, your whole purpose is now to go share. I mean, for 25 years, I've been sharing. Even in the beginning of my walk, I didn't know much about God, but I knew I had to tell others. I didn't know I wasn't eloquent and I'm still not with my words. <laughs> I don't have the, the, the training or, or the theological background, <laughs> but I have the Holy Spirit. 
because I didn't do this work in me. I w- this is far from who I am. But I wouldn't change it because of who he is. Because when you love him, like when you accept him, like your life forever changes. And you have to care enough about people to share the truth with them, even if they don't want to hear it. Then you, then you accept that and you move on. I, you know, I don't fight with people. I'm not out there screaming at people, you know, doing whatever. But man, if there's an opportunity, man, I'm going to take it. I mean, I pray for that opportunity daily. You know? Like, you want to impact people's lives with truth. Not your truth, but His truth. The reality that God, your Creator, loves you. And you are at war with Him. And He's made a way for you to be reconciled back to Him through Jesus. And if they don't want Jesus, that's their choice. But still be available. I mean, there's still people who call me. There's still people, you know, I can run into. And they will ask me questions. I received a call this week from someone who's not walking with Christ, but they knew good and well that they could reach out. All I have to give is Christ. And that's all that you, as a Christian, can give. you got to be mindful don't be, and as we read earlier, don't be a stumbling block for others. Like, why would we do that? I don't want to hurt their feelings. Listen, their feelings are going to be hurt because that's what the gospel does. I didn't want to hear it for many, many, many years. And even when I was at the point of receiving it, oh, death is never easy. So the gospel isn't this, you know, message that people are just going to know, like, you should consider the cause. Like, it pierces you. It exposes who you really are. And then really who he is. Like, God, you love me? Because he loved us, yet though we're still sinners. He knows our condition. And yet he says, I'm coming for you. You see, I've prepared you. I know you. Everything about you. I numbered the hairs on your head like you were not a mistake, but you're living against me. But I've made a way that you can be reconciled to me and you will experience life, rich and satisfying life. The Heidelberg Catechism. Again, this is this tool that I'm sharing with you all in hopes to encourage you to grow in your faith. We're still on part two, deliverance, talking about Jesus, God the Son, Lord's Day 16. Question, why did Christ have to suffer death? Here's the answer. Because God's justice and truth require it. Nothing else could pay for our sins except the death of the Son of God. Well, why was he buried? His burial testifies that he really died. Well, since Christ has died for us, Why do we still have to die? Our death does not pay the debt of our sins. Rather, it puts an end to our sinning and our entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? By Christ's power, our old selves are crucified, put to death, and buried with Him so that the evil desires of the flesh 
may no longer rule us, but that instead we may offer ourselves as sacrifice of gratitude to him. You see, that old man, that old woman, that old nature is not to be ruling us. It doesn't mean, as we read earlier, that you won't sin, but when you do, you react different to it now because you're like, that's not who I am. No, no. I've nailed you to his cross. You were placed in his tomb, and when he got up, you got up as a new creation. God, I am sorry, and you repent because you sincerely are like, oh, God, oh, no, I know you. Mm-hmm. And people will say, well, what's wrong with it? It's okay. No, it's not okay. Because <laughs> it's sin. <clears throat> and sin is destroying mankind. Sin is in agreement with the enemy of the church who thinks that he can overthrow God. And now he knows he can't. He knows his time is coming. See, we're on the right side in Christ. And there's a way you can live and walk upright amongst the crooked and wicked and perverse generation. And then finally... Why does the creed, the Christian creed, add he descended to hell? Well, the answer, to assure me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain and terror of soul on that cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. See, when you know him, you all, God, when you see him for truly who he is, man, you can't help but to humble yourself before him and to say, you are God. I'm not. I don't want to keep fighting you. I don't want to keep chasing after these desires that's doing nothing for me. You're the author and you're the perfecter of my faith. I'm going to trust in you. We're going to take communion. And then we'll wrap up on a few scriptures that we have. But I would just pray that as you take the elements to take communion, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to just have full reign and access to your heart. And if there's anything in your life that you know good and well that, man, I shouldn't be pursuing, this is the time to let it go. And to ask Him for His strength. And see, that's the important thing is, again, I have shared with you, the question is, how now then shall I live? You know how you would live. But now it's time to allow him to live in and through you. So we don't have to hide from him. We we don't have to pretend anything. No, we just got to be transparent first before God and then before others. And say, God, help me. Like, I fully don't understand all of this, God, but you've begun something in me. And God, I don't want anything or anyone ahead of, it, ahead of you. Like, I want you first. So I would just ask, as I will as the song is playing, that and we just really allow the time. And if, he, if the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction or, or, or bringing things up that you need to reconcile, then do that. Because we're doing this as we take communion. We're doing it in remembrance of Christ.
So Norma, would you come pass out the elements and I'll get the song ready.
Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to partake in this ordinance of the church, God. This ordinance that you called us to, you commanded us to do in remembrance of you. We hold this as a symbol, God, of Jesus, of your great sacrifice, your broken body, so that our body can be made whole, so that our body didn't have to be broken for our sin. And through this belief and confession that you are Lord and Savior, we can have eternity with you. In Jesus' name. And take your bread. Norma, would you pray for the cup? <laughs> First Kings chapter 12. We've got a mess in our hands. Israel is in a civil war. King Solomon died. Now his son Rehoboam is king. And it's a mess. My mind what a tangled web we weave. First Kings chapter 12, verse 20. <clears throat> when the people of Israel learned of Jeroboam's return from Egypt, they called an assembly and made him king over all of Israel. So only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the family of David. Remember, King Rehoboam, the people came to him and said, Hey, would you lighten the load for us? And then so he sought the advisors of King Solomon, these older men. They told him the, the wisdom given to him he should have followed, but instead he only listened to the young men that he had around him. And so King Rehoboam pushed back. And then the people of Israel learned of Jeroboam's return, this other guy. Remember, we met him, I think, last week. And God told Jeroboam, if you would worship me, and I be your God, you be the king in which I put on the throne of Israel. I can't give you all of the kingdom of Israel. I need to leave one tribe open because of my covenant with David. Because ultimately, remember, the Messiah has to come through biblical prophecy. He has to come through the line of David. And God is faithful to what he's established. 
But he told Jeroboam, like, listen, you will have an incredible dynasty. Just worship me. Just worship me. So when the people heard that Jeroboam was back, they called an assembly and made him king over Israel. Verse 21, where Rehoboam arrived at Jerusalem, he mobilized the men of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. 180,000 selected troops to fight against the men of Israel and to restore the kingdom to himself. But God (laughs) said to Simeon, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says. Do not fight against your relatives, the Israelites. Go back home for what has happened is my doing. So they obeyed the message of the Lord and went home as the Lord had commanded. I mean, think about that. Rehoboam gathered these troops to go and fight against Israel, the other Israelites. And then God steps in. God sent the man of God to proclaim the word of God. And the people obeyed. The people went home. They did not obey the king. They obeyed God. Jeroboam then built up the city of Shechem, in the hill country of Ephraim, and it became his capital. Later he went and built up the tower of Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, highlight that, circle that. Be careful of thinking in your own thoughts. He thought to himself, unless I am careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. Now notice how he forgot what God God himself spoke to him. God himself said, Jeroboam, if you worship me and me alone, I'm going to build you an incredible dynasty that will last forever. But instead of remembering the word of the Lord, he thinks to himself. It's a trap that we find our own selves in. And nothing good can come from it. Because he says, unless I am careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. When these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices of the temple of the Lord, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and make me make him their king instead. All of a sudden, his thoughts lead him further and further and further away from what God purposed for him. So on the advice of his counselors, the king made two gold calves. I hope you see where this is heading. He said to the people, it is too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem. Look, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. And that's something. We saw that when Moses was on the mountain. But back then they only had one calf. Jeroboam made two. And not only is it the God who brought you out of Egypt, these are the gods. And listen, I keep telling you, when it comes to spiritual warfare, you give the enemy a foothold, because that's what the Bible tells you. Mm-hmm. You give the enemy, it says don't give the enemy a foothold. You give him a foothold. You say, well, Rob, what's a foothold? A thought. 
that is contrary to truth of God's word. So you allow the enemy to plant a fault. He'll develop a stronghold. And that stronghold will lead you down a slippery slope. And before you know it, you don't know where God's at. But it wasn't God who's moved, it's you. You now have a stronghold. It's a pattern of thinking now that is opposite and contrary to the truth of God. And then you're going to start giving yourself over to desires, this and that and this and that and this and that. And you then you think somehow, well, God is silent, so it must be okay for me to do this and get away with it. And the good news is if a pattern of thought, a stronghold has been established, the Bible gives you the good news that he's giving you the weapons of your warfare to demolish it. That's why it just fascinates me that Christians don't know their God and they don't know what they have from him. The tools, the, the, the power, the, the insight, the wisdom to live this life. And I should make it a blank, blanket statement, Christians, the religious people among the church. Because <laughs> if you're truly a Christian, you know. <laughs> but there's so much here for us. Jeroboam had an encounter with the living God. God spoke to him. And look at where he's at now because he gave fault. He considered his thoughts. And what does the Bible tell us? And that's why it kills me. Why aren't people desiring to be discipled? Because if the enemy can keep them ignorant, he can destroy their soul. But you must be wise. You must learn. You know, when we think about what what God has given us, when, when the Bible says, take every thought captive, and bring it to the obedience of his lordship. I don't know if y'all are doing that. But that's what you're supposed to be doing. I didn't get to where I'm at because of anything of me. It's that when I saw that years ago, when I said, God, there has to be, who am I now? How am I to live? I know you've started something in me. I know your word says that, that you will complete what you've begun. And that you, would, that you will oversee this process. So God, what, how now, how am I to live? And when I saw take every thought captive. And then that period of time when I would slip up, mess up, whatever. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit would come. Because I would say, how did I get here? And I remember the Holy Spirit just speaking to my heart because back here... You didn't take that thought captive. You didn't take that thought captive. And there's a time when I became really frustrated and angry at God. And that night I told God, I got out on 408, stood there and raised up my hands and said, I don't want this. I don't know why you started this in me. You've made a mess of my life. This is insane. Oh, I'll show you. You're not in charge. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. And you've heard me probably share this before. And I went out that night and did the most dirtiest things. I mean, I've all 
done dirty things. But that night, I feasted. Like never before. Just to prove to him, I am my own man. I don't want you anymore. And then the next morning, just feeling the weight of the Holy Spirit. Are you satisfied? Did you get enough? And in that moment going, Oh God, what have I done? And I said, How did I get here? And then he reminded me, Because you didn't take thoughts there captive. You see, I hope we understand that this, is, this word is alive and active. It's just not a book that men wrote and put together. This is the inspired word of God. And so when he's telling you, take every thought captive, he knows what we're going through while we're still here until his return. He's telling us, not in your own strength, I'm inside you. I'm to be living this out in and through you. Let me have full access And so if a thought comes that you know is contrary to my truth, and so if you stay ignorant to this, you're not going to take thoughts captive because you don't know the thoughts are wrong. But the Bible tells us that he tells us that he begins to mature us, that we know the difference between good and evil. (laughs) And so when thoughts come in that you know are in line with him and his purpose, you take that thought captive and you say it out of your mouth. You say, oh no, I'm going to take that thought captive and I'm going to bring it into the obedience of his lordship. And here's truth to that thought. And whatever that thought is, you should know the truth that counteracts it and that you begin to declare it. See, if you would put your Christian life into practice and not just being a hearer of the word, but a doer of it, you will see yourself grow and mature in a way that when you look back a year, a month, and 10 years, you'll be like, I don't even know that old person. You see, when I talk about the old man, he's dead. And Jeroboam is giving thoughts, and now it's led him to have these two golden calves, and he's telling the people of God, he's no longer God, they are. They are. And you would think the people of God would go, okay, you're a nut. Mm-hmm. You're, the, you're leading us? Oh, no, no, no. You would think they would have revolted. You would think they would have pushed back and said, no, that's delusion. That's deception. Oh, but they don't. They fall prey to it. You see, it's nothing new under the sun, you all. From the beginning <laughs> until the day he returns. There's a war for the souls of mankind, you all. He placed these calves, calf idols in Bethel and in Dan and at either end of his kingdom because because this became a great sin for the people worship the idols, traveling as far north as Dan to worship the one there. Jeroboam erected buildings at the pagan shrines and ordained priests. He wasn't even, now he's making up his own religion. He's ordained priests from the common people. 
those who were not from the priestly tribe of Levi. And Jeroboam instituted a religious festival. So now he's wiping out the festival that God has established for his people. He's like, no, not that. This is what we're doing now. The festival in Bethel held on the 15th day of the 8th month in imitation of the annual festival of shelters in Judah. There at Bethel, he himself offered sacrifices to the calves he had made, and he appointed priests for the pagan shrines he had made. So on the 15th day of the 8th month, a day that he himself had designed Jeroboam offered sacrifices on the altar at Bethel. He instituted a religious festival for Israel, and he went up to the altar to burn incense. And so as he's heading up, at the Lord's command, at the Lord's command, a man of God from Judah went to Bethel. Arriving there just as Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn incense. Then at the Lord's command, he shouted, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A child named Josiah, and highlight that, circle that. That's a prophecy. Josiah hasn't even been thought of in the natural, but God knew Josiah was coming. Josiah hasn't even been birthed yet. And it's interesting, it didn't say, oh Jeroboam, oh Jeroboam, though Jeroboam will be dealt with. God was dealing with that, that spiritual spirit that was bound to that altar. Oh altar, oh altar, this is what the Lord says. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. On on you, he will sacrifice the priest from the pagan shrines who came here to burn incense. And human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign to prove his message. He said, the Lord has promised to give this sign. This altar will split apart and its ashes will be poured out on the ground. When King Jeroboam heard the man of God speaking against the altar at Bethel, he pointed at him and shouted, Seize that man! But instantly the king's hand became paralyzed in that position, and he couldn't pull it back. At the same time, a wide crack appeared in the altar, and the ashes poured out just as the man of God had predicted in his message from the Lord. The king cried out to the man of God, please ask the Lord your God. Interesting. He's no longer Jeroboam's God. Jeroboam has gone so far. And yet, if Jeroboam would have repented, if Jeroboam would have heard and responded, but instead no. And we see it today with religious people when they hear truth, much less forget the laws, they are what they are, but religious people who are in the community, when they hear truth, oh, it, it sickens them. And they got things to say about people who uphold a standard of righteousness. They want them seized and dealt with. <laughs> Please ask the Lord your God, to restore my hand again. So the man of God prayed to the Lord, and the king's hand was restored, and he could move it again. 
Then the king said to the man of God, Come to the palace with me and have something to eat. I will give you a gift. But the man of God said to the king, Even if you gave me half of everything you own, I would not go with you. I would not eat or drink anything in this place. For the Lord gave me this command, You must not eat or drink anything while you are there. And do not return to Judah by the same way you came. So he left Bethel and went home another way. As it happened, there was an old prophet living in Bethel. And his sons came home and told him what the man of God had done in Bethel that day. They also told their father what the man had said to the king. The old prophet asked him, which way did he go? So they showed their father which road the man of God has taken. Quick, saddle the donkey, the old man said. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. Then he rode after the man of God and found him sitting under a great tree. The old prophet asked him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? Yes, I am, he replied. Then he said to the man of God, Come home with me and eat some food. No, I cannot, he replied. I am not allowed to eat or drink anything here in this place. For the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you are there. And do not return to Judah by the same way you came. But the old prophet answered, I am a prophet too, just as you are. And an angel came to me, I'm sorry, and the angel and an angel gave me this command from the Lord. Bring him home with you so he can have something to eat and drink. But the old man was lying to him. So they went back together, and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's house. Oh, the church can learn a lesson. Yes. Just because someone says they're a Christian, or they heard from God, if it's contrary to what God has spoken, why are you changing your mind? Because God hasn't changed His. Listen, do you understand what's happening in the church today? Or the religious institution today? There's so much confusion going on because there's people who are calling themselves Christians saying, this is okay by God. This is okay by God. We have to deconstruct Christianity and we have to make it what it is because God is changing it. And the masses are going along with it. It is the most crazy... It's what I'm telling you all. It's all delusion. It's nothing new. This man of God should have said no. I know what God has said. God's word is firmly established. Remember last week when I talked about amen? Amen. The little simple word that we so throw around as if it's nothing. Oh, amen. 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 But do you really understand the depth of what that word means? So be it. It's firmly established. Can't be moved by anything that's contrary to what I just said amen to. See, when that becomes your identity, when you recognize, no, amen. I'm saying amen. It's firmly established. So be it. I'm not going to be moved. Nothing is going to change my direction because amen. I believe it. It's firmly established. God does not change to adapt to a new generation. But it's all being preached from the pulpits. We're deconstructing. 
Christian artists, singers, pastors, all these people now, they're all stepping out and we're deconstructing. We've, we've done it wrong. And they're lulling people to sleep. And was like, oh yeah, yeah we have. Oh, let's lament. Let's, let's cry over this. Let's, what? What kind of craziness is this? Have you not looked at the Word of God? It's all, he shows us all through it, from beginning to end. And this poor prophet should have his amen be amen. No. I don't care if ten angels spoke to you, or God himself came to you. No. And what do you think Paul says? In the New Testament, if anyone shows up, even if an angel shows up and gives you another gospel, don't believe it. Don't believe it. You see, there is a war going on, you all. (laughs) Verse 20. Then while they were sitting at the table, well, let me back up, verse 18. But the old prophet answered, I'm a prophet too, just as you are. And an angel gave me this command from the Lord, bring him home with you so he can have something to eat and drink. But the old man was lying to him. So they went back together and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. Then while while they were sitting at the table, a command from the Lord, came to that old prophet. He cried out to the man of God from Judah, This is what the Lord says, You have defiled, (laughs) you have defied the word of the Lord and have disobeyed the command of the Lord your God gave you. You came back to to this place and ate and drank, where he told you not to eat or drink. Because of this, your body will not be buried in the grave of your ancestors. After the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the old prophet saddled his own donkey for him, and the man of God started off again. But as he was traveling along, a lion came out and killed him. His body laid there on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. People who passed by saw the body laying in the road and the lion standing beside it, and they went and reported it in Bethel where the old prophet lived. When the prophet heard the report, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the Lord's command. The Lord has fulfilled his word by causing the lion to attack him and kill him. Then the prophet said to his son, Saddle a donkey for me. So they saddled a donkey, and he went out and found the body lying in the road. The donkey and the lion were still standing there because it beside it. For the lion had not eaten the body, nor attacked the donkey. So the prophet laid the body of the man of God on the donkey and took him back, or took it back to the town to mourn over him and bury him. He laid the body in his own grave, crying out in grief, Oh, my brother! Afterward, the prophet said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the message the Lord told him to proclaim against the altar in Bethel and against the pagan shrines in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. But even after this, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil ways. He continued to choose priests from the common people. 
he appointed anyone who wanted to become a priest for pagan shrines. This became a, this became a great sin and resulted in utter destruction of Jeroboam's dynasty from the face of the earth. My God. It's a tangle web we weave when we act upon the deception that we believe. Go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 through 43. Finishing chapter 9. We just read last week about Saul's conversion. He becomes Paul. He was a a threat to the church. He was a well-scholared Pharisee. Um, He he was well-known. He had clout. But then Jesus stopped him and changed his life. And not only did he change his life, Jesus announced the plans that he had for Saul. And that's why I love it when I when I read when Saul when Paul writes, listen, this gospel I preach, man didn't teach this to me. Because remember, he was well scholared in the ways of, of, of the Old Testament. He says, God was pleased to reveal himself to me through his son Jesus. <clears throat> you see, his whole life turned upside down. Now he's back in the temples, temples, and he's preaching Jesus. And these people are like, what? Is this Saul? And now they're, now they're on the path that they want to kill him. You see, the religious get easily irritated by truth. Always has been. Always will. But Paul knew, or Saul at this time knew, that he was a changed man. So verse 26, we pick up. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of them, afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas, oh, we love Barnabas, brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived, look at this, in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Leda. There he met a man named Aeneas, he who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Leda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. 
She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby and laid out. So they sent two men to beg him, Please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with windows, I'm sorry, widows, who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. Jesus, y'all, is moving. He's empowering the church to go forth. God is moving in a way, and God gets the glory. Not Peter, but Jesus. Jesus calls us. Jesus equips us. Jesus sends us. It's all for Jesus, you all. Go to Psalm 132. Psalm 132. Lord, remember David and all that he suffered. He made a solemn promise to the Lord. He vowed to the mighty one of Israel, I will not go home. I will not let myself rest. I will not let my eyes sleep nor close my eyelids in slumber until I find a place to build a house for the Lord, a sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel. We heard that the ark was in Ephrah, Then we found it in the distant countryside of Jar. Let us go to the sanctuary of the Lord. Let us worship at the footstool of His throne. Arise, O Lord, and enter your resting place, along with the ark, the symbol of your power. May your priests be clothed in godliness. May your loyal servants sing for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject the king you have appointed. The Lord swore an oath to David, with a promise he will never take back. Oh my goodness. I will place one of your descendants on your throne. If your descendants obey the terms of my covenant and the laws that I teach them, then your royal line will continue forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Jerusalem as his desired, as I'm sorry, he has desired it for his home. This is my resting place forever, he said. I will live here, for this is the house I desired. I will bless this city and make it prosperous. I will satisfy its poor with food. I will clothe its priests with godliness. Its faithful servants will sing for joy. Here I will increase the power of David. My anointed one will be a light for my people. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but he will be a glorious king. Listen. God's word, y'all, is faithful. What he has spoken is established. He's not taking it back. And so when you think of world events that are happening, 
in our time. And you can look through the past and know that even in the future, Jerusalem is at play. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, you all. I know we try to run from God, okay, okay, or whatever, and we make him wish you, or whatever we do with God. But when you see that his word, like, for the Lord has chosen Jerusalem, he has desired it for his home. I mean, when you see what's happening prophetically, when you understand that the fight for Jerusalem, like, God, it should open up your eyes to go, wow, this is something bigger than my little life, my little desires, my wants, my needs, my this, my that. Like, God, you have placed me in a time such as this to be about your business, and I'm so distracted by everything else. I don't want to be distracted anymore. God, you are on the move, and I want to be used by you. I mean, listen, you all, this is God. He is alive. It's just not a good story, you know? But he's alive. And when you prophetically see things, when you understand, like you go, what? And that's what I've always said. For believers back in the days, after Israel was basically wiped off the map, there was nothing around. Yeah. And they, But they can read, and they can see that, wait, there's Jerusalem, like Israel is on the map again. But there was a period of time when Israel was wiped off the map. And what's it been, 50 years now? Yeah. What, 19? 1948. By signature, Israel was birthed again on the map. Do you know that church should have celebrated? I'm sure they did back then. Because you know that? Like they knew... Jesus is coming. <laughs> like, what? Israel's back on the map? Jerusalem is at play? And then you see what has taken place since then? Like, I'm telling y'all, and that's why, how can you not believe? Like, if you really, if your eyes are open, if they're not open, ask the Lord, open my eyes that I may see. That's why I love it when I said on, on Friday night, I love it when the prophet prays for his servant, for his eyes to be open. I mean, they had masses of the mass of enemies around them, and then when the servant's eyes were open, he saw the angels of heaven, yes. the warring angels of heaven. He was like, "Those that are with us are greater than those that are against us." Like, see, when your eyes, your spiritual eyes, are open, and you realize the delusion and deception that is increasing in the land, you realize when you see the level of perversion rising, the occult came before it. All those false religions have rose up. The perversion rises up right along that, and then you have murder, and then you have strife. You have the increase of just craziness. And the Bible tells us in the last days, the love of many is growing cold. Like the time, that's why I keep saying, what, how we've done church, we can't do church that way anymore. How are we equipping each, each other and coming together and encouraging and edifying each other as the Spirit of God is moving in us and is gifting us for this time and this age and this generation to be the church. When the hearts of many are growing colder and colder and colder. We, we just can't play church. You can, but you're going to answer to God. Yeah. And God, we got to wake up. So when I read that, I go, wow, 
man. And then you see, like, Jerusalem. You see Israel that is surrounded by its enemies. And everybody wants Jerusalem. Who can make that story up? Who can do it? Oh, man wrote the Bible. Man put it together. I can't give man credit. Man penned it, but it was inspired by God because this is the inspired word of a living God that in and of yourself, apart from him, you are at war with. Apart from Christ, you are at war with the throne of God. But you weren't meant to remain at war with him. He desires for you to come to him, to surrender to him. He's not going to ruin your life. Trust me, these past years that I've lived, have they been challenging? Yes. Have I gone through? Yes. But I wouldn't change it, you all. Because the love that my creator has revealed to me, nothing, nothing can compare to it. And that's what he wants to do with each and every single one of us. He wants to reveal himself and say, come this way. I've got you. Just trust me. Surrender. Repent. Believe on me. I am the son of God and that I rose from the grave. Let that be what defines your life now. Am I your Lord? Go to Proverbs. One nugget of wisdom. Proverbs 17, verse 6. Listen, y'all, if you have questions or you, you, you just, you're like, I don't know about all this. Like, would you just, we'll go for coffee, we'll sit down and eat, we'll do something, we'll talk. Um, because I, I really, like, I'm so moved by what's happening nowadays that, man, people are lost. People just hold a form of religion. And why, and that's why I've always said, why would you settle for his wrath like for eternity I can't make that up it's not to scare you that's just the reality like if I believe this like he's warning from the beginning to the end he's telling his people and they keep rejecting him they keep rejecting him they will continue to reject him do you you understand the book of revelations when Jesus finally comes to earth he's going to rule for a thousand years People are going to be in the bliss. They're going to be living life on this earth. And then when a thousand years are up, Satan, for the last time, is going to be unleashed. And do you know what the Bible says that these people do? They turn against Jesus. I go, what? You've lived with him for a thousand years. just goes to show you how wicked we are. How wicked we are. I'm like, what? How does that happen? And that's why we can't take spiritual warfare lightly. We can't take this and just treat it as nothing. We can't take his blood and just make it common. And We just can't keep doing. I mean, you can. But do you understand That's why I said, there's going to be people in hell for eternity with the knowledge of God. 
That alone is torment. <laughs> like you're going to be like for eternity. It's not changing. Like it, that's where you are forever. For eternity, for what? Well, because this felt better to me. With this felt that I really wanted him. I really wanted her. Like I, I have a right to be angry. I, you don't. For what? What are we doing? When God is pleased to reveal Himself and say, "No, this is the way." Come. See, I love you. Like, I've made a way. Like, for me, with me, forever. Like, I got you. I created you. You're not to remain in rebellion towards me. Just come. In each and every single day, since you took your first breath, he's been with you. And he's been with you. Through the good, through the bad, and the ugly. He's been with you. All along using everything that was against you to reveal himself to you. So don't keep him at a distance. You don't know when your last breath is going to be. I mean, do you realize the level of murder that has happened just within the past weeks? Do you, that's what I'm saying. If you would just have spiritual eyes to see what on God's earth is happening. And where's the church? We should be praying. We should, we should be encouraging each other. We should be out there. Serving others. Thinking of them better than ourselves. Praying as we're going into places. Being available for, for when that door opens for you to share with someone. Or just to love on someone. I can't tell you how many times the doors have just opened. Over these years to... Be there for someone. And then they just fall into my chest and just sob. Strangers. Just because I may have asked them, how's your day going? I'll never forget this one girl. I'm going to get to this nugget. We're going to close. I'll never forget this. My first night ever to preach was at this conference. And God just moved in, in an amazing way. But the whole night, and I, and I told Norman this, I think I shared this with you all a few weeks ago. Like God is just reminding me of these past 25 years of all these different encounters lately. Because I can't believe it's going to be 25 years. I'm like, God, that's so crazy. But the whole conference, I'm just preaching. God's just all over me. And But this girl in the back, I just kept looking at her and just kept like so broken see even even when i'm here and i'm preaching on sundays it's the most strangest thing but even as i'm preaching like i'm praying if god is laying something on my heart with one of you or something or gives me insight of things i'm preaching but as i'm preaching i'm praying and that's the night that it began like i'm preaching and but all of a sudden i'm so captivated by this young girl who is just carrying a load just a weight of life on her. So I gave the altar call. I'm there ministering, praying with people. The, the, the conference room is, is clearing out of this hotel. And I'm standing there talking to the event coordinators. And then I turn around and there she was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
She collapsed into my arms. I just stopped. I remember pulling her back and I was like, I've got to pray for you. And she's like, I don't believe in this Jesus. She rattled on and on and on and on. So I listened to her. And I knew at that moment she wasn't ready to accept me. I knew at that moment I wasn't going to force her to say a prayer or do anything. She just needed someone to listen. So afterwards I said, if I'm going to pray for you, and then she's like, well, you're not going to ask me to ask Jesus into my heart? You're not going to, you know, blah, blah, and she was carrying on. And I was like, oh, no, darling. <laughs> you're not ready for Jesus. <laughs> but he's working on you, and he's working in you. And there's a day that will come. And rather someone prays with you or you drop to your knees and pray by yourself. That day will come. So, no, no, I'm just going to pray over you. So I prayed over her. And we would meet for coffee, and we would ask questions, and she finally came to accept the Lord. And when I left Georgia, we kept in touch, but her life just started thriving. Circumstances were changing, but the inside was changed. And she began to see life in a whole different light. You see, that's what I'm talking about. You, you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have a platform. You can just be in a store. You could be in a restaurant as I sat in the restaurant and it was eating. And I was talking to my ministry partner. And I was talking about the return of the Lord. And we were celebrating the goodness of God. And all of a sudden, this woman stood next to me. She goes, would you just shut up in the restaurant? Well, I'm sick of it. I've sat behind you and all I've heard is she was, she just laid into me. So I let her carry on. And I remember looking at her saying, ma'am, are you finished? Well, no more. What else do I have to say? I said, well, not much more. But would you grant me this opportunity? Speak. I don't know why you're so angry. But this I do know. This isn't of your doing. Whatever hurt or whatever you have gone through that has made you angry at God, God wants you to know this. There's a reason why you heard all of this today. Because he's reminding you, whatever sin is active in your life, you need to repent. He's coming. And that woman collapsed on that floor. I grabbed her like this and she just wept. You don't have to have a platform. You don't have to be the pastor, the preacher. I was just new to faith. But I knew, like I said earlier, but I had to tell people about Jesus. See, people are hurting. People are confused. Another restaurant I was eating at, sitting there talking. People were just engaging at the table about my testimony. And I noticed this couple at the other table. My eyes kept walking with this young man. It's two men. I was like, huh, okay, Lord. Well, why are you having me lock eyes with him? Like, what's going on? You know, like, 
How, how can I pray for him? I'm saying all this as I'm engaging with people around the table. And then his partner gets up to go to the bathroom. And he begins to walk over to the table. And I said, okay, Lord, it can be interesting. And he grabs my hand, and in, in there he places a note. I've heard all you said. Can I call you? Or, or here's my number. Can you call me? Boyfriend comes back. They leave. End up calling him. Just sharing with him truth. He had all these questions. He had heard of people coming out of the lifestyle, giving their life to Christ, but he always saw them slip back. Like what God has said in your life, is it real? You see, listen, you all. People are searching. God is on the move. He's awakening people. Even though it's getting crazier and darker out there, there's a move throughout the earth. God's Spirit is moving throughout the earth, awakening people to truth. And oh, how I pray that you'll be one ready to share truth with them. Proverbs 17, verse 6. Grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged. Parents are the pride of their children. And oh, how we should be protecting the youth, you all. I'm going to close this with this song, and then I'll close this in prayer.
But Father, your word has gone forth. And Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus.